Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. It's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the overall marketplace. So, Sean, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good, Casey. Very, very good. Lots going on. Lots of good stuff going on, man. I'll tell you what. Let's uh let's let's hit on the easy one first, I guess. We got all this uh um you put an article out, uh our newsletter out on Monday and, and it kind of hit some highlights, but basically the 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 overwhelming theme of your newsletter was, hey, you know, we got ge- geopolitical pressure right now. We're going to see some upside ticks to the grain market. And no more than I read that, the markets opened up and it sure took off and ran. So I think yesterday we ended up with about 32 cents on corn and and I, I don't know how much on soybeans, but it was, you know, quite a bit up. So we're looking from where we were at bouncing around about $4.97, 96 cents on, nine, well, I guess it got down to four ninety there for a minute too, but over about three week period here, we've jumped up almost seventy five cents or so, roughly, on the corn price as well as on the uh, on the uh, um, soybean price. I guess so. Looking at that, that's what we see right now. We're seeing that weather well, weather scary and geopolitical scary at the same time. Yeah, and, and I mean, nobody can forecast every chess piece move in geopolitics. It's impossible. Yeah. I don't know what the headlines are going to be later today, tomorrow. Could be bearish, could be bullish, could be limit up, could be limit down. You know, we've seen this before. But it does appear that there's a strategic shift. We went from a year ago, you know, Ukraine's offline. We had this grain corridor deal. Russia allowed this grain to come out. They were hoping that that good uh, that goodwill would bring some kind of a resolving uh, negotiation to what they want. It didn't. And I think they're now saying, well, being a nice guy, relatively speaking, didn't work. Then we're going to put the screws on, create some food inflation to create some extreme pressure on the global geopolitics of food shortages to force the West to come to the table and legitimately negotiate a settlement. And a negotiation means Russia will get something out of this. It can't be Russia gets nothing, we get everything. And they're, I think they're going to continue to put pressure on until the pain of high food and and and, and inflation and, and food shortages gets to a point where the leaders see the wisdom in trying to de-escalate this. There'll be a lot of ups and downs along the way, but I think once Russia gets something, a concession from the West, that's when this can calm down. I don't think we're there yet, but I think that they are going to we'll push this as hard as they have to. Their view is now being a bad guy is the only way to get them to come to the table. And we'll see how far it has to go. You know, I, I can't tell you how far we'll have to go, but if, this is what I will say. Given all that uncertainty of what it could mean or not mean, where we are at is the grain corridor deal was not renewed, which is in and of itself not necessarily the end of the world because in the last year, Ukraine has developed channels to move grain through land and to move the grain through the Danube River without any Black Sea travel. The problem is Europe doesn't want that anymore from the land because it's impacting their own agricultural players, meaning they are going to push back on that. I believe as of September 15th, they're not going to allow exports to come in to many countries from Ukraine through those channels or severely, it's going to be severely restricted. So that channel is going to be substantially reduced. And now, of course, Russia's bombing the Danube mm-hmm. uh, assets, the ports, the uh, 
the ag the ag infrastructure there because they know as long as they can get stuff through the Danube, it really doesn't put pressure on the West. Right. So if the Danube really gets shut down, as it looks, it appears to me that Russia is intending to do, then you have Ukraine, what I call checkmated, meaning they're checkmated. They can't get the grain out. Winter is coming. And, um, you know, then you have a, a, a pretty, uh, you have a very difficult situation on your hands in Ukraine and, and the lack of that breadbasket getting out to the rest of the world. And the markets responded, appropriately responded, rationally responded with a limit up move in wheat and big moves up in grains. Um, and, and it's possible, you know, it's possible that the West and NATO could retaliate and try to, to, to um, impede Russia's exports because they, they know Russia needs those exports to raise capital. Um, it could, they could try to retaliate and prevent Russia from getting their grain exports out, which would be another level of urgency. So this is the chess match that's being played, Casey. I don't think we're at the end of it. There's going to be ups and downs and rounds. But if you're in the livestock business, if you're a dairy producer, if you're a hog producer, if you're a cattle producer, if you're an ethanol producer, if you're a biodiesel producer, you know, I would be thinking about how to protect upside price risks in case this thing gets out of hand and it could get out of hand. We don't know for sure, but the risk to vote, if you're in that business and this thing gets out of hand and you have to buy and you have to chase eight, nine, $10 corn or whatever ultimately this is, you know, you're, you're out of business in some of these cases. Right. So yeah. to me, you, you have to protect that. Now, if you're a, a, a grain producer and you don't have a lot of, of you, know, you haven't sold anything yet. Once again, you don't know when this could end. It could end it in any moment, and all of a sudden, it's it's hard down from it. You need to feed the market, meaning you need to scale in sales into the market because you can't predict the top in a geopolitical situation. Right. Soundbite could come out any second and, and do one thing or the other. But my opinion is that if you're someone that's very undersold as a grain producer, you need to be feeding the market. You need to be rewarding the market, knowing full well uh, we don't know where the top is and don't and just stop trying to predict it because we can't predict geopolitics. So, um, you know, that's really where I think, I think you have to protect where you are at risk. A grain producer's risk is this thing ends in a couple of days out of nowhere and we're back to 490 corn and that's not a good price for you. 560, 550, 575. I mean, that's not the best price we ever saw, but it's a heck of a lot better than 495 where we just yes. came from. Yeah. So, you have to take care of where the market could hurt you. A grain market get a grain a grain producer gets hurt if this thing resolves quickly and we we'll go back to four ninety five. A livestock gets hurt, this escalates and we go a heck of a lot higher. Protect the direction that hurts you the most. Um, in the least, if you're a grain producer, think about you know using some some option strategies to protect downside price risk if you're uncomfortable making cash sales, meaning if you're worried about your crop, maybe your crop's not looking so good, at least do that. Do something here because we just can't predict what's going to happen one day to the next. So. Absolutely. Yeah, and then, then you throw the weather market stuff on top of that and what you see there. And, um, you know, Russia's made it pretty clear that they're going to continue, like you talked about, uh, just to put the hammer down on everything they can. And, and you know, look what I get. I get 
Europe's point about what they're doing with, with Ukraine, because if you take a look at what's happened with Polish grain prices yeah. since they've been pushing stuff out, I mean, it's just flooded the market in those areas yeah. that typically wouldn't see that amount of grain come through. Look, yeah. everyone is going to protect their self-interest. And th- the, those <laughs> those uh, uh, Eastern Bloc EU countries that have been, as you said, decimated by this flood of Ukraine grain, you know, they're going to push back and say, look, uh, we understand you have an issue, but at the same time, right. you know, you know, we're going to watch out for our best interests first. Sure. And yeah. then when our best interests are taken care of, we'll, we'll, we'll take, I mean, you know, as, as we all like to think that we're all in this together, it's all for one, one for all. But at the end of the day, you know, you're going to take care of your self-interest first. That's what countries do. And right, right now they're going to push, they're pushing back and they're going to continue to push back on that, um, at least for now. Um, until something changes with whatever's going on, but that's yep. um, you know, that is a, a trend that's been building, and uh, that pushback is coming. It's absolutely happening, and they're going to prevent that from happening, go at least for a while, and and that's going to put, like I said, put Ukraine in a very, very uncomfortable box. And if they, if if they can't sell their grain, or they can only sell their grain at fifty percent, you know, below the market, or something stupid like that. They're out of business. They're not going to plant next year's crop. I mean, they're not going to have the finances to per, to produce next year's crop, and that's the bigger risk here. Is if this gets pushed too far for too long, and those that have been able to continue to survive, you know, throw their hands up and say we're done, then then you have a longer term problem with Ukraine production being offline for a much longer period of time. Depending how all of this plays out, you know, I'm hoping for the best. But you have to prepare for the worst at this point. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right, Sean, let's jump over and talk a little bit about what's going on over in the energy market. Oil has a, uh, for whatever reason, decided to to jump out of the uh, mid-70s and work its way up to 80. And it's been stuck in that 75 to 70, maybe slightly below 70, like 68-ish range for months. It just seems like it's just been bouncing back and forth there. And yesterday it closed almost at 80 bucks, I guess. What's going on in oil, and why do we see such a big spike up there? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, if the Russia, Ukraine, and NATO and West is getting more um, uncertain, there's a potential that uh, uh, the energy coming out of Russia could be impacted. We yeah. don't know that for sure, but there's a risk. So we're putting on some geopolitical risk, given how important Russia is to you know, the, the global oil price. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is we actually have been seeing some better demand coming out of China. If you look at, for example, we just we just got dairy imports for the month of of uh, June, July. They were up strongly. We know that the, some of the recent readings of imports of crude and natural gas have been up substantially. It looks like maybe, you know, this, this slow rebound from the post-COVID situation is maybe we're finally starting to get some you know, improvement in demand here, of course, China being extremely important to the global oil price. So I think those two things combined uh, are allowing this uh, oil price to kind of break out of that, you know, 70, $75 range that we've been in and maybe poke its head up closer to 80 for now. And then the market will take another look to see how everything plays out. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, as you look through um, what we see, happening with uh, crop progress reports you're starting to see some some folks out there turning their heads and saying you know what maybe this uh, limited rainfall and the seat we have 
is worth talking here a little bit about, and uh, we're going to go ahead and lower our predictions. You're starting to see the one bushel a week chip away that I, that you see when these kind of things start happening. So, you know, we've talked about that pretty extensively on here. Um, as you take a look at what's going on in, in the time frame we're moving into, Sean, talk a little bit about some of the weather predictions that you see out there and some of the patterns you've seen develop. Well, we know we're, we're going to have some pretty extreme heat this week that's been yep. uh, advertised for a while, and that's happening. Um, you know, Weather is never constant. It is always some give and take. And that usually when you get some extreme heat like this, the atmosphere withdraws just because it's hard to maintain that kind of extremism. So I think that the heat's going to back off here. Um, and then and then we're going to get another surge of heat. So the way we were kind of seeing it, high heat you know, into the early part of August, a backing away from the heat, and then a resurgence of the heat in the middle of the month. Um, there is some rainfall, you know, we've highlighted this is not going to be May, June, no rainfall, zero zip. It's going to be some rainfall, not like crazy rainfall, not necessarily above normal rainfall. It's still going to be below normal, but there's going to be some rainfall that will fall sporadically throughout the different regions. So this is not a, you know, hot and absolutely no rainfall. This is hot with some rainfall. So, that does push back a little bit on how much degradation we would see for corn and soybeans. But in aggregate, the weather pattern that we see with warmer and below normal rainfall does suggest we should chip away at some yield here um, into the mid later part of August. Um, and then, of course, we have this USDA report coming out here you know, in a few weeks, and they're going to take another stab at what they think the yields are going to be. The key will be, will they be comfortable enough to, to lower soybean yields at all? Will they be comfortable in doing more on corn? Will they stick with corn? You know, that, that'll be the debate. And the big driver beyond geopolitics is trying to game the system on what the USDA will say next on yields. But right now, a hotter, drier pattern definitely puts pressure on the potential for some downward trend in yields heading into August and certainly heading into September USDA reports. Right on. Okay. Um Kind of hit everything that I had up there, Sean. Anything out there floating around in your head that you think we should let people know about? Um, the only other thing that I would pay attention to is that we've been watching this Brazilian Real trade a sideways trading pattern for probably five, six years now. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at it, we're developing this triangular coiling pattern for five or six years, but just kind of, you know, kind of coiling, coiling. And we're now been rising to the upper end of a narrowing triangular pattern. Um, anybody who's been who follows the correlation between the Brazilian real and ag prices knows that typically if the real starts to rally strongly, uh, ag prices tend to inflate here in the U.S. because of the it depresses prices in South America, prevents them from wanting to sell and increases our competitiveness. So I keep an eye on that chart. I think it looks to me like we're going to break out sooner rather than later. If we were to break out and we get a big, big rally in the market, um, that would be another fundamental, Casey, that we, we haven't seen that happen since the 2000s. You know, the period from 2000 to 2010 was the last time that we had an uptrending uh, real inflating U.S. prices. If you got like a 20 or 30% move in the real, corn prices or soybean prices or sugar prices or coffee prices could rally 15, 20% with no change in the fundamentals, just on the change in the currency translational effects 
Um, and given how prolific Brazil is in selling all these markets, that's a big, big thing if this breaks out. It hasn't done it yet. So I, want, I don't want to say that, you know, jump on that. But, but right. it's something to really, really watch here. And the closer you get to the end of the triangle, Casey, the more likelihood you're going to get a breakout potentially. So we're looking for that. If we see that, we're going to be really highlighting that and and adding that to our inflationary commodity scenario for agriculture heading into 24, which ultimately we think is going to happen. But when it does happen, it could be an accelerant to this um, U.S.-based commodity inflationary cycle that is driven by currency that we haven't seen in a while. So that's something definitely to keep keep your eye on because it's a it's a big, big factor that we haven't had in our favor for a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah, you did talk about that the other day about the uh, ag inflationary um, aspects of stuff that you start seeing. So, okay. Well, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks, I want to reach out to you and get more information about what's happening over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Our Twitter page is at Faradex11. Um, you know, we some, from time to time post stuff on there and interviews and things that go over what we do and how we do it to see if our way of looking at the world and agriculture would be of value to your listeners. Right on. Well, Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast, and thanks for uh, all the detail that you put into this stuff. I appreciate it, Casey. Thanks for the opportunity. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast, and go see the video version over on the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related. Got just a few spots left for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee. So if you're interested in checking that out, go to the website and sign up there. Or if you need more information, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. So with that, uh, I am Casey Seymour. We're Sean Hackett. Let's go smart, folks. Out. Let's see.